This is episode 243 of the Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts podcast. This episode is titled, Getting Educated, with IU Dean Van Kooten. Welcome to Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts, the show about stuff we like. I'm your host, Jennifer Crittenden, and sometimes I'm lucky enough to be joined by my co-host, Bill Aho, who has an ear for good music and an eye for the extraordinary. Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts is brought to you by Discreet Guide, a training company for improving your speaking and writing skills. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. So this is our first podcast that's not from California. I am on the beautiful campus of Indiana University at Bloomington, and I'm so honored to have uh, Dean Rick Van Putin with me today. So welcome, Rick. Thank you. And I'm in the very fancy studio at the Media School at IU, which is in the Franklin Hall, which is where the old registrar's office used to be, so kind of my old stomping ground. And I'm wearing my clean-up-the-farm clothes today, so it's a good thing that the podcast is audio only, <laughs> uh, but fortunately, Rick has to see me in all my mess here. Uh, but yes, he's uh, not commented on the fact that I look like I just rolled out from Rice Road, which, which is true. <laughs> so I'm so looking forward to our conversation about education and the College of Arts and Sciences. But let me start by introducing Rick. Rick Van Kooten is Executive Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences. He's been at IU since 1993. He served as the chair of the Department of Physics and as vice provost for research, working across the campus as a passionate advocate for scholarly activity. Very nice <laughs> term. Uh, Van Kooten earned his PhD in physics from Stanford University. So yeah, here we are, full circle from uh, California. <laughs> and began his career as a scientific associate at the European Laboratory for particle physics CERN, also my old stomping ground. Funny how our parallel lives. He has co-authored more than 750 publications, most in the area of particle physics, uh, which is the field for my dad also. So uh, Rick knew my dad. Kind of, you're sort of the next generation. Yeah, that's exactly, uh, yes. Yeah. For my dad. As both scientist and administrator, Van Kutna is an experienced collaborator, having guided the research directions as physics coordinator of large international collaborations of hundreds of researchers. And I remember those big experiments, just the many, many people that would be involved. Mm. And they're even bigger than than back then. Even bigger (laughs) now, right? Uh, In his role as the college's executive dean, he remains firmly committed to the importance of a liberal arts education in the College of Arts and Sciences, both for its inherent value and for building the foundational skills of creative, collaborative, and critical thinking and communication. So I'm really looking forward to exploring some of those topics. But to step back just for a minute, um, Rick, 
tell me a little bit about how you came to Bloomington. So as, as the bio was, was saying, so I'm, I'm originally Canadian. Uh, went to University of Toronto for my undergrad. And um, I was interested in p- particle physics back then. And there's only a few places in the U.S. where they actually have colliders where you can do it where the university is. And one of those places is Stanford. And so mm-hmm. I ended up going to Stanford uh, and then as a research scientist uh, over at CERN, the particle physics lab there. And then when you finish, it's kind of like a postdoc. Like after you finish your PhD, you, you do research. And then there's maybe one or two years where it's a window of you looking for a faculty position. Yeah. And you know, to be frank, I was looking for a faculty position in Canada because that's yeah, where sure. I'm from. In those two years, there essentially were zero positions at the universities in Canada. Uh, and like it wasn't that you know I applied and couldn't get one. There wasn't anything advertised at all. So I just uh, you know opened up the search to pretty well all the American universities, and this one popped up as a as an opportunity, and I applied and ended up coming here. Yeah. I just say, and what, what was strange though is that uh, honestly, like first time I talked to it with to, uh, to my wife, where's Indiana? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think you go through it when you when you go to Florida <laughs> right. along sixty five. Exactly. What was what was interesting is that uh, being at Stanford, we got to love the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, and then being over at CERN, which is just outside Geneva in Switzerland, we got to love the mountains. And then we moved to Bloomington, which is about as far from either as possible, yeah. but we absolutely love it here. It's a fantastic yeah. place to, to to live. It's a fantastic place to raise kids, and so that's what we did, and it was a great uh, experience for us. And so, like an evidence of that that. I've been here for 28 years. 28 years yeah. you've been here now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been such a huge contributor, you know, to the physics department and then for research and now in the College of Arts and Sciences. So, yeah, thank you for your service. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's talk about the scope of the College of Arts and Sciences. And I was curious to talk to you about this because I think when we have been around academia for a long time, we just say those words, College mm-hmm. of Arts and Sciences. Like, of course, those things go together, peanut butter and jelly. Kind mm-hmm. of things. But I was thinking, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily a given that those things would be lumped together. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts about the scope of what's included now sure. in arts and sciences. Like what's traditionally put together are things that are different at IU. Yeah, just if you had any uh, mm-hmm. thoughts about that. Big picture. Yeah, big picture. Mm-hmm. So the big picture is that arts and sciences is just uh, a really a name for the liberal arts. And so, yeah. in fact, in some in some cases, some you know other universities or colleges, it could be the College of Liberal Arts or College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. Yeah. And sometimes you fall on arts and sciences. And in fact, um, and I think the fact that the sciences are put on, because if you just stop the average citizen on the street and said, liberal arts, they may not even include the sciences. Exactly. And, and I completely admit that as an assistant professor here, or maybe even like further along than that, I didn't realize that the sciences even counted as part of liberal arts. I was like just doing my, sure. my, you know, my work, focusing on getting tenure at the beginning, things like that. Uh, but the sciences are squarely part of the liberal arts. Mm-hmm. And so it, it encompasses – there's three divisions inside of uh, the College of Arts and Sciences. Arts and humanities, again, very traditional. It's like English, uh, religious studies, mm-hmm. sometimes discovery just departments like folklore and ethnomusicology right. that doesn't exist in every other um, university. Um, and then social sciences, mm-hmm. economics, political science, 
And then there's the sciences, which is you know, biology, chemistry, physics, biochemistry, psychological and brain sciences, math, like a, a lot of the traditional science, neuroscience, uh, things that happen in the, in the interfaces between all the sciences. And then actually what's a little bit interesting, I have the title executive dean, which means that I provide um, – there's an umbrella of College of Arts and Sciences that encompasses three college schools as well. It includes the media school where we, are, where we are right now because we used to have a department of communications right. and a school of journalism. Those yeah. were put together to create a, like a more twenty you know twenty first century entity, the media school, which is a lot more attractive and 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 accessible to students nowadays. Instead, yeah. of journalism just implies a little bit too old school. Yeah. Then there's the Eskenazi School of of uh, Art, Architecture, and Design, and yeah. that was and fine arts. Moved, right? Yeah, about I think twenty sixteen, so about six okay. seven years old. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, the media school has its own dean. Uh, the Eskenazi school has its own dean. And then oh. there's the Hamden Luger School of Global International Studies. Oh. Again, where they actually what – they, what happened there is they, they took the lesser commonly taught languages from the college mm -hmm. and then threw in international studies and then anything global. Um, sometimes they train people for the foreign service mm -hmm. or diplomacy or just people that are attacking global problems. Yeah. And so those also – under are underneath the umbrella of yeah. the college, mm -hmm. and they also sort of follow the ethos of the liberal arts, uh, and so it's a great big entity. So like there's huge variations between yeah. things that we do, and I think that's the refreshing piece of it. And another way to look at it is the liberal arts are essentially the progenitor of everything else. Is you know business school spun out of the College of Arts and Sciences. Uh, there's there's Luddy School of <laughs> Informatics, Computer Science, and Engineering again. Computer science used to be in the College of Arts and Science, spun out. School of Public and Environmental Affairs used to be in the college, spun out. So everything, you know, and those are termed as more the professional schools. Right. Um, so even when you uh, talk about the history of the university, you know, we had our bicentennial just a couple of years ago. When you talk about the bicentennial of the university, it really was just the college and all these things came out of it. And actually between us and the Hampton Luger School, we teach more languages than any other university in the U.S., uh, more than 70, between 70 and 80 languages and dialects. And uh, so a real strength of us, we're known for that. We're known for humanities and fundamental sciences. Well, it's interesting because when I was a linguistics major here, I was in Lindley Hall. Yeah, yes. And computer science was downstairs. Right. But, but I didn't realize that now that was... Now, I don't know if you realize that the Kinsey Institute's there and yeah. gender studies, which is in the college and the Kinsey Institute are in that building now. It's funny, I think... Communications was always a really popular major. And, you know, I should mention that the um, School of Journalism is very well known. Yes. And probably still, still is. is. Very yeah. well known. Yeah, Ernie Pyle. Yeah, yeah, Ernie Pyle, exactly. But it's interesting to see now that we're sitting in this studio, all of these things come together. Right. So the media school looks really modern, you know, big televisions and then these studios that we're recording in. And there's also a piano in the <laughs> studio. So appropriate, really, for uh, Indiana University, which is also known for... It's music school, music. yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Interesting to see how these things evolve and still right. kind of stay, yes. you know, yeah. mesh together. Tell me a little bit about the wisdom, the traditional wisdom of putting arts and sciences together. Do you think that that, that still works, so to speak, to put them together? And do you think there are forces in play now to pull them apart or to push various departments together? Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's, that, that's really interesting. So the, 
the liberal arts tend to be a lot more fundamental than than other areas. Mm -hmm. Or like I said, what I was implying before that the other schools that spin out are professional where they're giving a little bit more training for what you're going to do after yeah. after college or university but direct explicit training mm -hmm. where the College of Arts and Sciences is more – again, liberal arts more for learning the skills that are going to make you like an effective person in society. So it, so then that's what we're always talking to our graduates about is that uh, if you're an English major, often those, those, those skills of critical thinking, mm -hmm. of, uh, of collaboration, of communication – are essential skills in the world that, you know, in to be employed. And then that whole cluster of everything that the College of Arts and Sciences covers is a way to make you live a meaningful life, like to be a useful citizen, knowing all those different areas. Essentially, so you've already, everybody's heard of general education. We cover essentially everything in general education, everything, everything that a, a human should know in current day society. Um, and so the, the interplay between the, the arts, the humanities, the social science and the sciences are, are important as different ways to actually learn those skills. It's, a, it's learning how to learn, right? It's not just yeah. one thing. Uh, there's a, the president of Northeastern University, uh, Joseph Owen, has an interesting book called Being Robot Proof, just AI in the age of higher education. And the premise there is that if you – it prevents you actually from being replaced by a robot. Right. Is if you have an artificial intelligent computer, you know, implemented on a computer and just knows all the flow charts and everything, all the knowledge, but not really thinking, then you can be replaced by an AI. Yeah. And all our graduates are learning in ways that prevent them from being <laughs> replaced by AIs. Yeah. Because we have to think about that there's jobs now that won't exist 20 years from now. Sure. There's jobs now that we don't even know about that will exist 20, yeah. 30 years out. Gone are the days that you're going to have the same job all the way through. And so that's something that the arts and sciences as, as a collective really, really does train people for. And they complement each other, like the different, the different facets. What pulls, what pulls them apart are actually the, the professional schools yeah. of where you're just thinking about you know, say, say you go, you're in the business school, that you're just being trained to go off into the world of business. Mm -hmm. and, and that you might have to, you might are required to take the general education courses, but, you know, the, the large majority of what you're doing is just being trained to be in the business world. Mm -hmm. um, so in some ways, less flexible. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. my, daughter, my daughter is always embarrassed that often I call her the, the poster child of liberal arts education. Mm -hmm. She came in actually wanting to be a journalism major. She started it, found out she didn't like it, and then she switched to a, a dual major in history and economics. Yeah. She came home. She told my wife and I that, and we go, oh, okay. And uh, and that was before, you know, I was, you know, as a, a physics professor, I really didn't really know what the liberal arts were. Uh, but if she would have actually, you know, told the skills that she was learning, and then w with that with that combination. Um, and then she took uh, courses in consulting. Is that when McKinsey, which is a big Fortune 500 firm, came through interviewing people? They told her exactly that, saying, "We want people just like you, thinking outside the box, or flexible thinking, and not people from the Kelly School of Business, mm -hmm. because consulting is that every one or two, three months, you you parachute into a company, gather a whole lot of information, synthesize it, and then communicate out solutions, and do that over and over and over again. And they found out that people from with a liberal arts education are much better performers at that. And so that year, it was only sh her and a woman from philosophy that were hired for the exact same reasons. 
And then there's, I don't know, in my new role as dean, fundraising, talking to donors. Yeah. The, the number of CEOs that are history and English majors is just striking. Yeah. Just getting out of, say, as an English major, your first or second job may not be something that is, you know, sky high. But often they tend to have a long-term success. There's also a really – there was a really good article in the New York Times about um, – that the title was Engineers Sprint – but uh, English majors win in the long run yeah. of, for exactly those reasons. Because they have that skill set mm-hmm. inside of them, being able to communicate uh, or think critically, which makes the big difference. Uh, and so it's essentially everybody in the College of Arts and Sciences learning those skills and, and finding different ways to express them are really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was here for career day last week at the media school. I'm not a graduate of mm-hmm. media school, but, you know, with the podcast. So they asked me to do a, to participate in a panel about podcasting. Oh, great. Podcasting. Yeah. yeah so. And then they have, there were a few students who, who signed up to talk to me, and one of them said to me, I'm uh, learning to be a very good writer. She oh, said, yeah. I'm interested in becoming a good writer. And I said, you know, that... Learning to be a good writer will help you, and being a good writer will help you throughout your entire life. Mm-hmm. Because really, good writers are good thinkers. Yes. Yeah. And learning those skills will help right, you right. your entire life. I'm kind of a good poster child, too, along with your daughter, because I got a liberal arts education here at Indiana University, and I did everything I did. Mm-hmm. You know, film studies, linguistics, French, you know, I really explored a lot of things. It was a lot cheaper then, so I could do that. But then, after I'd graduated with an undergraduate degree and worked for a while, I went to the Kelly School of Business mm-hmm. and got my master's. Right. And, it, you know, I really think of that as being essentially a technical degree, right. at least the way yeah. it was done here. And I used to joke that in every class, I would learn to use a n- different button on my HP 12 calculator. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it was that direct, you know, it was that directed, right. Right? right? And so the product that the Kelly School put out with an MBA, the employers knew what they were getting. Right. Right? Exactly. Like they're people who can use those buttons on mm. their calculator. And so eventually, yeah, we might not be robot proof there. But I will say that, of course, that served me extremely well when I graduated. Mm -hmm. I got, you know, many job offers, probably in part because of that combination of liberal arts undergrad plus the MBA. And I had a fantastic career in corporate finance. But now I find, now that I'm not doing that career anymore, many of the things I learned as an undergrad come into play in my work today, you know, just the various things that I participate in. One of the things that I work on is training technical people to make the leap from technical jobs into C-suite or Mm -hmm. executive positions or, or, you know, kind of more leadership positions. And that's where I find there's a gap. Yeah. So people are, and we do a lot of technical training but not so much for soft skills or, right. or communication skills or writing skills. And so that's where I come in now. But I do feel as though I'm filling a gap. Right, there, right. right? Yeah. And I noticed that in my business career, people would rise to a certain level and then get stuck. Right. 
So I work with people who are stuck and wanting to. Right. And you just called them the soft skills. That's that's mm-hmm. what people often refer to. But, you know, they sh- we should dissuade people that that means they're fuzzy. Yeah, or right, the fact that, that we, you know, sometimes we call them, we call them more often foundational skills now or power skills because actually that yeah, those make big differences. Yeah. And it is exactly what. First of all, that you, you lead a more meaningful life with those skill set. Yeah. And that's what employers are looking for as well. Mm-hmm. So you're a more rounded person also with this with this broader education too. And you can enjoy life as well and be supremely employable. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's not just that we're like better humans, like contribute to the, I don't know, <laughs> right. to the economy of the world. But we have a richer life mm-hmm. too, right? A, you know, more satisfying just more things are interesting to us. Right, maybe. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That curiosity factor is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, having a perspective where you can assimilate a lot of different things. I asked this question about what forces are in play to pull them apart because, you know, there's been such a focus on science, um, you know, since the pandemic and, and people using kind of that slogan follow the science, Mm -hmm. as though if you were following something that sounds like soft skills or fuzziness Mm -hmm. or philosophy, that somehow that's not serious. Right, right, right. And so, yeah, so I was curious to talk to you about that. Like, do you feel that the attitude toward science, (laughs) I have to say that, (laughs) (laughs) has somehow changed over time or, or what, what well there's the one thing about you know the, the movement towards anti-science and sort of discrediting of experts which okay. is very very disappointing where people will you know the, I, I do my own research and that means they just read anything they want on the internet and then use that as forming their opinion which is a very bad thing mm. but the the uh, actually the pandemic provides a perfect example of of science and then the importance of non-science areas is that, of course, we developed, you know, those fantastic vaccines. And in fact, those mRNA vaccines were 20, 25 years in the making. Yeah. You go back 20 years and ask somebody what they're working on, they say, you're crazy. They will never get something out of that. But right. it did. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't available, they wouldn't be able to turn around a vaccine in like in a year, in, you know, in a year or less. Yeah. Um, but sure, now we have a fa- great va- vaccine, but what was the impact on society is the social nature of people agreeing to take that vaccine. You can do science out the wazoo and it doesn't help if nobody's taking that vaccine, if there's distrust towards it. And that's the study of human nature. That's sociology, for example. Right. Yeah, and then really sociology – and in fact, if anything, the, these big NIH grants are now incorporating sociologists, medical sociologists as part of them because – the science, you know, particularly in health, right? Health means the health of human beings. So that's the science interfacing with human beings. Mm-hmm. So that's where the liberal arts again comes back. Yeah. And, and so there's the social nature is the interaction between humans. Right. And then the humanities is essentially being human, mm-hmm. like the importance of being human. is you can be human as, a, as an isolated person. And all that, you know, every, anything in the humanities you can think of in that way. And then the social is just many humans. Yeah. And then the sciences are just exploring how nature works. Is there just different aspects of looking at the world yeah. or, or being effective in the world? You need all three. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, and, the, and, and again, the pandemic brought, brings a perfect example Absolutely. of it. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's go to the crux of the matter here because I'm like, oh, yeah, it was so great. I did all these <laughs> classes, and then I went and got my MBA and got a job and mm-hmm. made money. Yeah. So what do you think about the cost of an edu- liberal arts education? So if we do take the position, it's going to make you a great person. You're going to enjoy life, all these great things, but it's costing you a small fortune now to go to school. How mm-hmm. do you reconcile that? Or do you still think it's fairly cheap for what you get? Or how, what do you think about the money? Well, first of all, I, I think it's it's cheaper than people realize. Okay. Uh, like you, if you go to any university and you see the tuition, mm-hmm. you should dig deeper and find out what is the average paid tuition. Uh-huh. Is that there, there's huge numbers of, of scholarships that go out. I see. And, and so the, you know, the effective... The effective rate that people pay is often much, much lower. And parents and, and, and students thinking about going to college or university should really look into that. Mm-hmm. Is that particularly state schools are are affordable for what the return on investment, even and I think yeah, just as much for the liberal arts, is 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 definitely something which I think is absolutely worth it. Uh, because you because otherwise if you're not if you're not sort of being guided towards or, or putting different things in front of you. Uh, you won't you won't be able to practice these skills, and you won't gain these soft skills that you do need to be again employable. So, and like I said, is a, the difference between professional schools and say liberal arts it might make a, a difference in your first or second job, but not necessarily in your third, fourth, fifth, sixth job. And people have to realize that is it gone are the days of like our parents where they might do one thing for 30, 40 years. That's not going to happen. You'd be moving around all the time, different things. So you have to be flexible. And and be able to learn something quickly, right? And again, so that's what we're doing. We're learning how to learn or we're teaching how to learn. That's what we're doing, that skill set, so that when you're dropped into a new situation, you can cope, you can adapt, you can you, you can do the readings or just you know mentor under somebody and you can come up to speed faster than than say people that are not used to those skills. Yeah. Right. If you're just doing something, you're following a manual and you only know that that skill. That doesn't preclude you know, the, the utility or that that's something where there are people that do want to do that. I think it's also very valuable. You know, that's so interesting. I'm going to take us down this rabbit hole here for a second because that's really been a recent aha experience for me as I work with people on teaching them communication skills, soft skills, interpersonal skills, mm-hmm. how they come across to other people you know, behavior modification, that kind of thing. I'm discovering that people vary in their study skills. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm learning that I need to get a sense of someone's study skills or their ability to learn or all kinds of things that go into that, like uh, their ability to focus. Mm. I kind of have to get a sense of that earlier so that I'm not surprised then when I've had a session or two and they're not really where a different client might be. Mm -hmm. I was thinking more recently, I wonder if there's a way for me to assess this Mm. because I'd rather know going in that I'm dealing with somebody who just isn't really very capable of studying on their own. They're they're not good at reading, Mm. good at motivating themselves outside of the session with me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a it's a challenge. And again, 
if people have those skills, they've got such a huge advantage, right? right, In getting better at other things. Mm -hmm. But I don't have a good sense yet of how to assess that or especially how to teach it. Right, right, Right. yeah. But yeah, I get started with somebody and they'll say 20 minutes in, ooh, time for a break. And I'm like, we're just getting started. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's interesting to see. That that's also, I suspect, part of a liberal arts education is, as you have said at the beginning, the ability to learn. Right, right. The ability to learn, but also the the, the appreciation of the variation of how people learn. Yeah. Is that there are, there are you know, and, and I think I think a chunk of that is just uh, human variability. That there are you know it, it, or brain structure. Yes. You know that there's certain things that are not easy to to learn or just may always be there and just adapting you know in the school of education on campus that the adapt, adaptability of how teaching is done mm-hmm. to incorporate the fact that people have different ways mm-hmm. to learn. The school of education is separate. Yes. Here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's also a very big and well-known school. Yeah, right? it's a highly ranked uh, yeah. school. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So if we're uh, thinking about four-year schools and how much they cost and what value we get for them, what roles do organizations like community colleges or technical schools or even apprenticeships? Yeah. So personally, I'm a huge fan. Mm -hmm. And I honestly do think uh, that trades, like people doing apprenticeships, whether whether they're plumbers or electricians, Mm That, that that needs to be treated just as with the same level of respect as somebody that's gone to college or university and has a position doing something else mm-hmm. of, of being also when I was like through high school like I, I took all the shop courses and everything and then I'm an experimentalist so you're always you're building things building instruments or, or just doing hands-on experiments as being tremendously useful as well mm-hmm. and and you can see that people are passionate, or just really outstanding in what they do. That should be treated by society just as importantly. And I think, for example, in the U.S., it's not nearly as valued as much as in a lot of the rest of the world, uh-huh. particularly in Europe. In Europe, yeah. you know, doing a trade and doing a great job at it is, is I think, valued just as much. Or another great example is when I was working at CERN, you know, we lived there for three years, and then I had two one-year leaves when I was working at the lab as well. Well, you see, like a very good example are doctors, medical doctors. Here, the medical doctors are put on pedestals, yeah, yeah. and they shouldn't be. In in France, where we lived, they were just regular people that were not that didn't have this godlike. They shouldn't be. They're just they're just people that have another level, a different training that they've gotten to. Uh, and so, I think the 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 demarcation between those different areas, I think, in the U.S. Is, is is bigger and, and it's not good for society. No, it's not good. I mean, our healthcare system. So, so yeah, that's part of the. I think of the one of the problems with the healthcare system is the doctors. Yeah, and since I lived in Europe for many years and had my first baby there, that was really eye opening to see the obstetrician there. I mean, he just drove, you know, some little VW. Yeah, I yeah. came in to see him. He sat there with his laptop and did my intake. I mean, it was a very different experience right. than it would be here. Yeah, so our our, uh, our daughter was born at the Stanford Hospital, and then our son was born in, in Geneva, uh-huh. in Switzerland. And also yeah, the same thing, just right. completely, completely different experiences. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's driven by the doctors. It's, 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 it is driven, I think, 
by a level of capitalism. It's it's hospital mm-hmm. systems. It's hospital mm-hmm. systems wanting to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's insurance companies wanting to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Is it the or the the fact that this is such a litigious society? Right. Again, you live in Europe, and sometimes like you you see something, you go you I don't know you you visit some decaying castle or something. And they won't have barriers up. It'll just say, yeah. you're here, you know, what? you're on your own. <laughs> if you're so stupid to go up there and follow the edge, well, we warned you. Here in the U.S., you know, they'd have to put barriers because they'd get sued immediately. And the same thing. And that's and that's why insurance is so high yeah. because people sue doctors. Yeah. Whereas it's something like there, there are mistakes or just, you know, your health can just take a turn yeah. and somebody dies. No fault of the doctor, but people are pinning it on doctors. Yeah. So again, it's um, yeah we're going to much larger issues here in terms yeah, of society. That's yeah. right, <laughs> of of you know what's happening in society, and I and so that's why coming back, that's why um, I think people should respect the trades just as much as somebody going to college. They should not be denigrated or any at all. In fact, I, you know, having them making higher rate wages than they are right now is is it'd be a good thing. Although. Again, you can make a great living if you're an electrician or a plumber or something like that and do a really good job at it. And and, and it's, it can be very satisfying work. I've, and that's just, uh, again, society adapting to that reality. And same thing with community college is that that might be the training which is needed is that you know somebody maybe feel you know very satisfied being a, a physical therapist or you know in, still into the healthcare systems but not like not a doctor. And, and nurses, you can be either at the community college level or you can get your degree. My, actually, my, my wife got her bachelor of nursing and she worked as a nurse at Stanford Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then – and then we, when we lived in Europe, she, you know, she couldn't get a work permit. And then we came back. She went back to medical school. I see. And then um, – and, she, and <laughs> I swear that she, she has a much better bedside manner because she's a nurse before. She yeah, understands right. actually how to interact with people. Mm-hmm. Not all doctors do. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. So to go back to apprenticeships a little bit, yes. you, you and I definitely see eye to eye about this. I mean, you know, my, my dad's very similar to yeah. you. Yes, he was and, an experimentalist as well. Yeah, yeah. And funny, you know, the, these experimental um, particle physicists often turn out to be really handy yes. people, right? Yeah. And you're probably that way. Yeah. That way. So, yeah, it's surprising how much building there is. Yes. In yeah. That's why I loved it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Just making all this machinery. And a lot of it's novel, right? Yeah. You have to be Cutting edge. H- handy. Right? right. And then uh, my dad had a big uh, piece of property. And so there's a lot of handiwork, right? Right. That's done with that. And so... I have tremendous appreciation for people who know how to put up a barn. Or, right. Yeah. You know, know how to do plumbing and right. electricity. Yes. And all that <laughs> right. Stuff, right. Right. Yeah. I see the value of those skills. And also the need for creativity through it all. Oh, like, yeah. like, you Problem know, solving. right, I mean, right. And, and, at every level. <laughs> yeah, MacGyver. Everything. That's right. <laughs> you know, and that creativity, like people think, well, you know, and I think that's the arts part too. People only think of creativity in the arts. And that is absolutely not true. That right. happens everywhere. Is it the, the need to be creative to be, to make a difference? You know, scientists are doing that all the time. Is it like to solve a problem? Like you're saying, like your dad and what I've done is mm-hmm. he, it's the first time you're, it's at the bleeding edge and you have to be creative of trying new things out. And then, and then, you know, when it's been around for a while, it gets picked up by an engineer and then they mass market it. 
And that happens over and over and over again. Yeah, there's a lot. It's that's such a good point because we often talk about the arts and design, mm-hmm. right? But you know, those elements of design, what makes an an elegant design, yes, really good design. Right. You know, often scientists appreciate that. Too. Oh yeah, yeah. And we see that a lot now too in in programming, right? Right. Oh yeah. What, what makes it? What makes an elegant program versus you know some right. bunch of crap that you? That's <laughs> right. You know that you patch together with these nasty things, and then a good programmer comes in. And they're like, Bleh. yeah, so, right. You know. No, that's actually, that's a lot of you said for that, the elegance of, of solutions too. And yeah, and you you get that in physics, like where yeah, you see yeah. like some mathematical description of nature and it, like, so Maxwell's equations describe how light works. Unbelievably beautiful. Like, and again, it's almost, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a shame <laughs> that people don't have the background to yeah. appreciate the beauty of that. It's like, right. oh my God, it's, it's to the point where it's, 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 you know, it's goosebumps type yeah. thing when you, when you first see it and you can sort of get it all in your head, you go, oh, man, this is really gorgeous. This is really... And same thing with symmetries. Like symmetries are important for art. For us, scientists, the same same thing, at least in physics, the symmetries are really, really important um, in terms of, of how nature presents itself. Yeah, so knowing, you know, taking out this idea of what society thinks of all these activities, I guess I've been a little bit... I guess it's a question in my mind when I see the expense of a four-year education and that a lot of people don't do well, right? It's not just my clients that don't have the study skills or the wherewithal or who don't enjoy, you know, that kind of learning. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's a bad thing or how would you position it differently for us to have concluded in this country that really everyone should get a four-year Mm. education and that maybe we should be doing more of the European model where they are doing more apprenticeships or technical schools or, or kind of yeah what's your yeah that's you, a good point how do you put that all together right well, that's a good point like if, if here's an early magic wand question <laughs> <laughs> the magic wand. The magic wand is if you could, if at all levels, if you can sort of provide some breadth instead of just being very, very narrow on, mm. on things. Like, is there any way that, uh, or, or you know, if middle school and high school can be a little bit more rewarding and, and broader, so that people, and so people say you do you do do an apprenticeship or something where something an interest is being sparked by high school already, where yeah. you follow that. And again, to have something which is like a, you know, a, a broader life to uh, to pursue, if you can somehow make that easier for, again, all levels, um, that it's a, or that's a good question. You know, should everybody be doing a four year education? I don't think so. And that might be that might be a little bit heretical, but I honestly don't think so. Well, it seems like a lot of people are failing. So yeah, that, I guess you could say, well, maybe we should do it better. But maybe there are different pathways that we should explore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that really bothers me, the idea of sending young people off to a four-year school and they fail out. Right, right. Or don't like it. Yeah. Then they have that on their heads, right? Right, right. Or or, or allow the flexibility to find what they really do love. Yeah. yeah. And that and that's that's the utility of, of, of very much the liberal arts because, like, and you, yes. you heard, like, we have – 50 different departments and programs. 
Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, people don't even realize that those exist. Mm-hmm. Like when you're in high school, you don't even know you can get a degree in sociology and something as basic as that. And definitely not folklore and ethnomusicology as being very, very, you know, specialized. But something that somebody can really – or linguistics is like that's something. Oh, yeah, you're learning a language. Everybody knows about but that. But like the science of languages is tremendously interesting. I love computational linguistics, the right. description of, of, of languages themselves. Uh, which is very interesting. You know, middle school or junior high, as we used to call it, seems like such a terrible experience for so, for so many people. You know, the age that we are at then is just a horrible age in some ways. Yeah. School doesn't seem to help that very much. And <laughs> I've wondered if you could just take those middle school years and just explore. Right? Yeah, Instead yeah. of having people sit in a classroom like... Just make them do a bunch of different work on a ship for a while. Maybe <laughs> you know, a little bit too young for some of those things. Probably. Yeah, yeah. But I agree, and I I don't know because that that's it's essentially human development. That's the time when the hormones are raging, mm-hmm. and I think everybody realizes when you're twelve, thirteen, or fourteen just how horrible person you are. Because <laughs> I remember, like, uh, I know yeah. going to I I just think remember this thing of of having a trip to Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. when I was thirteen years old. And I do remember me being miserable, like by complaining about things, about complaining about everything, but internally just loving it. Because I was, I, I, I love the sciences back then, the Smithsonian. Like if you've never been to the Smithsonian, I love that. Or the space and the aerospace uh, museum, where all the you know, or actually you know, mercury capsules. Actually, the the actual capsule right there. That was such a huge deal for me. I remember I was just miserable through the whole thing. But again, internally loving it. All those contradictions are really present yeah. in those years. Yes, yeah. 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 I, I've wondered if we could take advantage of those years yeah. somehow to do something yeah, different with them so people are not quite so, yeah, <laughs> yeah have such a hard time during that. Okay, let's talk about research. Sure. Yeah. switch here for you, but I thought I'd take advantage of having you, uh, since, you know, you have such a long history mm-hmm. of research and knowing about how you fund it and all that kind of stuff. So how do you feel about that now, how you feel research is funded, and do you think that's working? Oh. Um, or, yeah, what would you change? Oh, uh, better mechanisms for getting the funding to the right people, uh, mm-hmm. because it's just, it gets more, every passing year, it's more work to put into like a research grant proposal. And then the, the success rates are, you know, dropping. It gets harder and harder to, to, to get the funding. Get yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it, and so, you know, the answer to that is if there is more, if there is more money for funding and that, that has gone down. Absolutely. If you take a look at the fraction of, uh, you know, GDP of the U.S., the, the fraction of GDP, poured into research is much less than it was, say, 20 years ago. Uh, again, fraction-wise. 20 years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. So, so it's— So who is funding research in the U.S.? Sorry. Yeah, so for the sciences, it's the National Science Foundation, okay. the National Institutes for Health, okay. uh, Department of Energy, Department of Defense. Okay. It, those, those actually cover a lot of the sciences. Okay. And then there's you know, social sciences, also NSF, uh, okay. humanities. There's National Endowment for— Arts, National Endowment for Humanities. And then there's a lot of foundations that will, will fund. The Mellon Foundation, the Luce Foundation will you know, get money to faculty for traveling, going to archives, uh, things of that nature in, in humanities. Mm-hmm. And, and same thing with social sciences. It, it really depends. Again, it's a, it's a spectrum. The sciences is more 
you know, uh, traditional federal funding. Yeah, federal. Yeah, right. right. And then, then that's where the GDP makes right. a difference. Yeah. So, and, and like in the, in the U.S. and society is often here is often worried about competitiveness with China. China is pouring in a lot more money into their research, like oh, the sta- right. much, much larger fractions of their GDP into research. And it's it and shows. Is it similar kind of research? Oh, yeah. Is it, you know, basic research? Or, yeah, or right. Fun- fundamental, you know, because like what I do is is very fundamental research. Mm-hmm. Like people say, well, well, so what? What do you do with that? <laughs> and it's just, it's curiosity-driven research. Sure. That's, and so that's what I, that's actually what I enjoy about it. Curiosity-driven research, but I, like from what your so your dad does, is that a lot of things because of the bleeding edge often end up becoming part of society. Yeah. So when I was when I was a research scientist at at CERN, this European lab, the World Wide Web was invented across the street. The two year, the three years that I was there, wow. somebody wrote a protocol for the World Wide Web, and the two first websites were between CERN and Stanford. Oh, those were the first, and they would just talk that. to each other. And then we as physicists say, oh, this is cool. And we just used it to share information across the world because these are big international collaborations. Yeah. And actually, we were disappointed when it was picked up by the rest of the world with little dancing cats and things like that. No, that's right. This is not what we meant for. We were meant for just sharing information. No, it really was this. this, this that's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that just came out of the you know large computing systems. Yeah. And um, in fact, that was... The person that did it, Tim Berners-Lee, was uh, like this program where they spent 10% of the time just working on a project that they wanted to work on. They just wrote a little proposal and they just used that with that 10%. And that was part of his pro- uh, little project. And it's literally like, you know, it was in my office. Oh, look, and look at this. Check this out. And it was like, you know, like the first websites. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. <laughs> and the first sports website, the CERN softball team. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that makes my day. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. And then research, and then there's some research and creative activity where you almost don't need funding, right? Is that it's it's very inexpensive. Say you're doing things on a digital ar- archive, which is available. Like you can be a historian and have access to a digitized information. You can do it from, you know, just from an office anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so that that is that is available too. But it's it's the outcomes which are the most important. Is that the you know the university does stress about. The amount of research dollars that come in, but in the end, it's the it's the production of knowledge, uh, which is the most important, or creative activity. Yeah, I, I feel as though sometimes we need to be a little more humble about what we think is going to be eventually useful. Oh yeah, right. Quotes, right? I, you know, because I mean, this is a perfect example. This World Wide Web. Yeah. You know, it just starts out as CERN softball team. Yeah. Wow, look what right. we have now. Right. I mean, I can joke about TikTok and cat videos and all that, but it's a it's a tremendous tool for knowledge. Yeah. Right. And, right. I mean, right. Wikipedia. You know, I mean, I'm so happy that I'm alive. <laughs> right. That Wikipedia is alive. Cause, right. You know, I just use that a lot, and it's such a great tool. And then the other one that you said earlier is the mRNA vaccine. Yeah. You know, all that work that was done for so long in mRNA where, you know, skeptics might sit around and say, what well, good is this? Because mm-hmm. we never know that in 2020 suddenly there's going to be a virus right, right. That where we have to create a vaccine that's going to use that technology 
And we're able to produce that vaccine in a year, less than a year. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes I think we're a little bit too mm, narrow in our thinking. Yeah, right. Because I remember there was one point where, like, um, I forget what state it was. Like some state legislators were, uh, like, looking at titles of research papers and saying just how ridiculous this is. Why why bother doing that? And then, and there was, like, one legislator uh, making fun of a, of a paper – because it was talking about fruit flies and oh, like and not realizing that fruit women. flies are like <laughs> – and that's another another interesting point is that uh, Indiana University is the epicenter for fruit flies. Is oh. that there's a whole – there's Drosophila stock centers here that they develop. They've had you know colonies that have been the same colony, the same type of fly bred for 35 years. And they, they, they package them up and ship them out to researchers for yeah. genetic studies. And that's, yeah. that's here at IU. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that, yeah. about that. So my sister, you know, who's also Bloomington native, she works as a brain scientist at MIT. Oh, okay. And so she works a lot with fruit flies. Yeah, right. Uh, or did. At least she's working in a slightly different job now. But, yeah, she was regaling us the other night with the stories about different kinds of fruit flies. Oh, yeah, see? <laughs> yeah, right. In fact, there's so it's so important because then the, the the stock center is in the biology department. Yeah, but it was but they're worried so much because just the just how incredibly valuable it was. Oh. And you know how you back up uh, computer information or something like yeah. backup files? What they did is that there's a backup stock center oh. out by like um the bypass where oh, the yeah. cyclotron used to be because like say a tornado hit it and wiped right. it out it would miss the other stock center right. and they could always always reproduce everything again. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a weird like leaders in genetic and genetic early genetics and um and and also evolutionary behavior or evolutionary studies, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. All right, let's see. So, um maybe it's time for our magic wand. <laughs> magic wand question. Yeah, magic wand question. Okay, so here it is. If you had a magic wand, what would you change about education in Indiana or at Indiana University? Can I can I have a bigger magic wand to uh, <laughs> first talk about education in general? Uh, and no, and this is this is germane to to the state of Indiana. Of so the same thing, the U.S. does not treat teachers mm. like the rest of the world. They don't respect teachers nearly as much as other places. Mm. Uh, and 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 the way that gets reflected is is pay. Yeah. The the pay rate of teachers is just abysmal. Like why do want why would people want why do people go into teaching if that's what they make? We should have the best people be teachers, and and often that's not true. No. And and that's but in part because of the pay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so and over and over again, and you'll hear stories of this, and you you know or you know we get it particularly say in physics where. Uh, their math skills are not very good, and it's hard. It's, you know, math uh, physics is hard if you don't have strong math skills. Yeah. And though there's endless, endless stories of like their math teacher not liking math, right? You know, where where say it's a small school and they're required to to teach math. That they're they're the ones that are forced yeah. into, but they don't really like it. Yeah. And that that happens a lot. It's just that that's and, and that you know contributes to math anxiety or not performance mm-hmm. of of math. It's so it, it, you know, and and I I highly respect teachers, but because of this, the best people are not going into teaching, and they should be. Uh, that uh, you you want somebody that in that subject both loves it and is good at it. Yeah. 
you know, they don't, they don't have to be fantastic at it, but because you're, you know, you're teaching high school or something like that. Or, but it, it's important at all levels, at, you know, at middle school, at high school. Um, and so educationally, we're not, the U.S. is not doing very well. And, it, and it, I think the crux of the matter is just respect for teachers and that respect coming with higher wages for teachers so that they – so good people end up going into teaching. Yeah. It's really ironic too. I did a, a podcast a couple of years ago about um, teaching. I, I did a whole series actually about teachers and pay and supply and all kinds of different things. But one of them had to do with – becoming a good teacher and studying teaching. Mm -hmm. So I have a, a family friend who is an economics professor at Cornell, but really he's very interested in teaching, mm -hmm. like what makes a good teacher. So I did a podcast with him and it made me start thinking about, you know, how, it, the, how teachers are so important for kids. Yeah. Right. And you remember those teachers yeah, yeah. your whole life. Yeah, because right? it's during your formational years. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's what I mean. You can have one math teacher that just destroys, you know, that you have math anxiety for the rest of your life. Right. You know, that they that they, they hated math and so you hate math. Yeah. <laughs> it rubs off. Mm -hmm. Or you can you can have an extraordinary math teacher just loves it. Right. It makes it a real difference. Yeah. Too. And everybody remembers high school teachers that yeah. made a difference. Uh -huh. And then and that and then that fades. They remember college professors. But maybe not to the same degree as high no, school high school right, teachers. Exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. No, it's true. Not as much. Of course, you don't see them as often. But yeah, teachers are really important in our personal development, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And we get very sentimental about old teachers. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to to come on my podcast. I'm really uh, honored to be here in the media school. <laughs> That's right. Um, and before I let you go, is there anything you'd like to share with the with the audience? Um, well, yeah, like the, actually the, the 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 pitch that I made mm -hmm. <laughs> for for the power and the importance of liberal arts. Mm -hmm. So the society also uh, realizes its need, its necessity of, of and, and you know even of course as dean that we've tried to get enrollments okay. <laughs> are, are very important to us, but of pitching that message. To make it as clear to um, prospective students, to high school students, their parents, mm -hmm. guidance counselors. We have a great thing of a liberal arts impact series. At the, we have a Walter Center for Career Achievement. It's sort of like uh, alumni from a different area. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Alumni that say alumni from, from philosophy come in and they describe what they're doing now and what made philosophy end up being critical to their successes. Yeah. And it is, it is just, it's just beautiful to see. And across the board, amazing like how far these people go or how different it is. Yeah. And I guess that, then the other thing is students shouldn't be so wound up in knowing what they're going to do. Yeah. It changes all over the map. Mm -hmm. Is it Your life is not linear. And that's another thing that we're doing in terms of like uh, one credit hour career courses like for life design. Mm -hmm. And that part of life design meaning is that you back up plans mm – -hmm. Or don't stress out so much that you made the right choice because it, it, it is a choice. Make the best of it because it can end up leading you to like a completely different spot. Like me is, you know, I'm dean right now. Like absolutely <laughs> no way that you think, oh, I want to be dean. Yeah. No. Like even this job, I was talked into it like as being an administrator. Yeah. I, 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 I find it rewarding. Because, you know, making a difference. Like everything I do, I want to make a difference. And this is just a different way to do it. So like and I've done a whole bunch of different things. 
And I, 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 I enjoy that, seeing different mm-hmm. things. In fact, if anything, I'm, I, I can get bored pretty quickly. Uh, right. And so like even if you're exploring a certain topic and, you know, things aren't happening very much in that topic, I sort of go, well, I'll move on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, and But but again, you can have a re- very rewarding life just accepting and embracing that that diversity because mm-hmm. you never end up <laughs> – you'll never – you never know where you're going to end up. Mm-hmm. Like, so like yourself as well, oh, right? Yeah. Could you have anticipated your career? No. It's impossible. So people should should – don't stress out so much about it. And I know it's it's difficult because it's like it's it's it's, it's not easy to get by in, in today's society. That's that's a bit of the problem is where even just a working wage yeah. can be an issue um, as as costs go up, and it's 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 hard right now. Yeah, as costs go up, then people they turn into this ROI mentality. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, and that's you know I have to be careful about that because. It's easy for me to say, like, oh, yeah, you know, take an extra year, you know, do four years and five years, right, you know. Mm -hmm. But, of course, there's a lot of money behind that, too. Right, right. But, yeah, I mean, I'm old enough now to where I can say to the audience, you're going to live a long time and things circle back. Yeah, yes, right. Well, it was really lovely to talk to you. Thank well, you thank so you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. It's good. like yeah, a, no, it's good. It's an so interesting conversation. Good. Yeah, it was lovely to see you. Excellent. So, yeah, okay. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to check out the show notes for additional information about this episode. And give us a like or a thumbs up on Podomatic or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd also love to have your support on Patreon. And get in touch. We'd love to hear from you through the internet or Twitter or whatever means works for you. And finally, thanks to Caffeine Creek for the theme music.